0: Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today, we're asking Professor Dr. Walter van Dyke, Director of the Healthcare Management Center, Vlerick Business School, is intellectual property a barrier to access? I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining the conversation. And welcome, Professor van Dyke. So if the pandemic then has highlighted the importance of an effective IP system, could we just start by defining what intellectual property is in the context of healthcare?
1: In the context of healthcare, um, IP is is about patents. That's the most important one. So in other industries, you might also rely on secrecy, for example. So so like Coca-Cola is the most renowned uh, for doing this, Um, but that doesn't really work in healthcare, more specifically in the life sciences. Um, Life sciences is um, uh, known as an industry that needs very high investments in order to find uh, a certain uh, innovative idea, we call the compound, and a way to protect uh, this uh, investment that is needed, you need a strong measure of protection, and a patent is the most strongest way to protect um, this investment.
0: So, is it still necessary? If this is something that's evolved in terms of protecting pharmaceutical and biopharmaceutical companies, is it still relevant? Is it still needed?
1: Absolutely. Of course, I mean, the the more you go from, I would say, chemical compounds to uh, biological agents, it maybe becomes less important. Uh, so it is easier uh, or it's more needed to protect uh, a chemical compound because it is so, um, so much imitable. So you can imitate it rather easily. If you know the chemical formula, then you have your new product, Uh, Whereas for a biological agent, uh, like in vaccines that that we're seeing now, uh, there the know-how obviously is also in, let's say, the formulation, but the know-how is uh, much more, I would say, uh, in the the manufacturing process and in the getting this right. So IP um, or patents become much less of a a way to protect uh, your your investment, but knowing how to develop or how to manufacture, I would say, uh, your your active ingredient. That is where the know-how is.
0: And so, with the protection with IP, does it then create barriers to to access um, innovation?
1: Well, I, I would say it. Um, in order to have innovation, you just uh, need IP. I would say so. You need protection. Um, Why? Well, obviously, the innovative uh, game goes uh, as follows. In pharmaceuticals, you have a very long period uh, of uh, development and then where you need to have uh, cash for which you need to have uh, money, let's say, uh, that can only be recuperated afterwards. So, you need to really extend as much as possible uh, this period. If you want to get to a lower price or to an as low as possible price, you need to have an extended period of time to recuperate the investment that you've made uh, upfront. So, yes, I mean, it's absolutely true that you need to have, so let's say IP stimulates uh, innovation. If you don't have this protection, then, well, the time of exclusivity uh, on the market will be shorter, of course, and, um, well, you will not have the means uh, to do your innovation.
0: But of course, the whole landscape has changed so much with COVID-19. And in this context, then, is IP a barrier to the world getting access to potential vaccine or treatment?
1: Well, that is what is often said, but I, I don't think so. I mean, it is not because you have IP that this would limit access of, uh, let's say, developing countries to uh, to the new vaccine. I mean, in a way, it is the um, the richer countries who pay for innovation. So, the principle here is called uh, Ramsey pricing. So, Ramsey pricing basically means that the means, the profits that you need to recuperate the investment, uh, they are gathered by those having the strongest shoulders. And that's the Ramsey principle. So, that means that the, um, the profit that you gather in rich countries is higher than the profit that you get into uh, lower income countries. And you need to have this imbalanced situation in order to to thrive, to be, uh, we call this, as economists, we call it to be dynamically efficient, so to to keep on innovating, let's say. So we can only allow for a low price in uh, the smaller countries by having a higher price in the uh, more developed economies. Now in order to, um, to be sure that you can gather these higher prices, well, you need protection so that you don't get a copy. Yeah? So, so, so it's quite essential, I would say.
0: So that's very interesting then about the imbalance. There was, of course, some criticism about how Europe was responding, saying that perhaps Europe fell short of matching the US in supporting COVID vaccines and therapeutics. So now uh, the EC is announcing its own version of what's known in America as BARDA, the Biomedical Advanced Research and Development Authority. (laughs) What a mouthful. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's going to be known as HERA, the Health Emergency Preparedness and Response Authority. Um, What do you think should be the IP model then in in Europe's version
1: well i wouldn't uh, change much <laughs> frankly i mean the the so HERA, by the way is is a is a very um, forward looking System, I would say, if you compare it with the the first American reaction or the U.S. reaction uh, to the pandemic, which was, um, although I mean, I, I could I could say something for it, eh? so which is called Operation Warp Speed. Eh? So Operation Warp Speed essentially uh, was a um, or is um, a policy where you support the industry or some players, the, the most winning players, I would say, of the industry, to get their compound on the market or to get their their active ingredients as, as, as fast as possible possible. possible uh, on the market by allowing for riskful manufacturing, etc. Now, if you compare this with Europe, then you have to see two things. So one, you have the uh, the joint procurement, let's say, that is being done now. Eh? So in, in in Europe, that's the present way of working for it. I think if you compare that with Operation Warp Speed, then uh, already you can see there that Ursula von der Leyen uh, in May last year, I think, they negotiated a deal with the WHO where um, they said they would support, let's say, not only the rollout, of vaccines in uh, Europe, but also they would sponsor, I would say, the access in lower income countries. That's one element, but the other element, uh, and that's the, the here and now kind of approach to it, but they also had a second part, which is then called HERA, and HERA, which is forward-looking. So with HERA, what the European administration wants to do here is to uh, stimulate innovation in a very uncertain field Uh, meaning that, well, they would do a reverse auction. So in this reverse auction, um, they would provide money, I would say, to various technologies that might be entering. Uh, So you have uh, the the present uh, Pfizer-Moderna, the mRNA technology, but you also have the more classical ones, like the ones from Johnson & Johnson and then uh, the AstraZeneca one, which is kind of in the middle if you want. So they would sponsor in the future with this uh, HERA framework, access for these various technologies, why is this necessary? Well, because of course it's highly uncertain. We don't know yet um, how well these things or how well these vaccines are going to work in the long in the long term. So it's good to put uh, not all your uh, eggs in the same basket. I would say so. You want to have a variety, an access to to a variety of. Now, um, talking about or getting to the IP model for this this here, so the EU would fund. R&D into these various uh, domains, or at least to the winning uh, players in in each technology. But that will be a combination of loans, of venture capital, and own funding, meaning that these companies, uh, that these R&D companies, they still need to be relevant on the capital market. And in order to be relevant on the capital market, to gain access to investments, or to gain access, I would say, to money, well, you need to have IP. So you need to have a strong patent, otherwise the capital market, meaning us, meaning the stock market, uh, meaning, let's say, the public financial markets, are not going to fund you. So you really need this IP to make this happen. And that's very essential, I would say.
0: And are there some ways that Europe might improve, might actually make the model better um, to stimulate, as you say, breakthroughs in science, technology, and indeed then reaching patients' needs? Any improvements that you see that could be made?
1: well of course i mean the, the agreements that are being reached are uh, confidential so we don't know the details and i uh, by the way i think that's a good idea uh, although there is a plea i know on, on the on the political side for uh, for more transparency but i mean in research that i'm doing for the moment actually so we see that uh, being transparent uh, is actually uh, rising the prices <laughs> has a price rising effect another price lowering effect so this being said um what um, we are seeing, at least even in the, given the confidential nature of, the, of these contracts, what we are seeing is that you have, um, let's say, a better public-private collaboration that is being set in motion, I would say. So with these deals that are now on the table, and that should be also a recipe for the future. So meaning that you have, for example, you have um, manufacturing at risk that is being paid for by, by the public. So um, where before, I would say, well, the industry, which has a risk to enter into this technology, having or facing, let's say, the high manufacturing costs at risk. So manufacturing costs at risk, that means, so before you get an agreement or before you get an allowance to get onto the, on the market, you need to have uh, the European Medicines Agency saying yes to your uh, vaccine and you need to produce. Now, if they say no, then that means that you have lost this uh, manufacturing output and as i said before so manufacturing in vaccines is not an easy thing so it is something so it's quite an investment that is potentially let's say yeah um, down the drain frankly so 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 having the government supporting this uh, element of manufacturing is really helping the way forward
0: But then if the IP is needed to incentivize the companies, as you say, to to create this new science, how can you get the right balance then between incentivizing then the the rapid pooling of critical IP at times of of crisis like the pandemic, and also then protecting the individual company's scientific discovery?
1: Um, You you use the word pooling um, and... uh... Pooling or pattern pools is a typical concept that is being used huh? So, in the world of IP, let's say. So what is, um, I would say here, um, uh, pooling is, is, uh, is a method of uh, reducing the transaction costs for having access to a set of patents that you would need. It comes from the high-tech industry. So, so in electronics, it is used uh, a lot, huh? like for your DVD disc or something. Or, or, uh, so that's where this is very uh, very popular method. Why? Well, because there in, in, the, in this industry, you, you need to have access to a lot of uh, patents, I would say, to make something new working and, in order in, and, and to prevent that you would have to negotiate with these various uh, sub-technologies that you would use that you would need, let's say, to uh, use uh, or to design your your end product, uh, in a pool uh, you can negotiate only once. So it's cheaper, it's uh, more effective, it's more efficient. Now, in the healthcare industry or in life sciences, this is not really the same thing. Mm -hmm. So the uh, patent pools uh, that are being set by... uh, Or sometimes you have NGOs who are very strong in in putting this this forward. Um, They say like, well, you know, this can be used to reduce the price. Now, this would only be feasible to reduce the price if you would have, let's say, competitors into one pool. Well, that's not what pools are about. So pools don't work with substitutes. Pools are there to have complementary technologies. So that if you design your next DVD system, let's say, that you have access to the key patents and all the other patents that are needed to make this work. Now, here in our industry, you don't have this. So, so you maximally have, let's say, some complementary uh, patents. But in the end, you need this key patent that protects, let's say, the uh, uh, the key innovation, I would say. So it's, it's far less... Um, I mean, it's definitely not uh, useful, I would say, for this industry.
0: That's very interesting, because I was wondering if then you do get the pooling of patents, then perhaps the risks about um, quality, accountability being maintained, and you'd mentioned the difficulty of manufacturing processes, those then have to be accurately protected by IP to make sure that those standards are maintained.
1: Well, actually, it's uh, at this very moment that you have AstraZeneca, um, who is uh, being challenged, frankly, in in Europe for for what they bring out. Um, Well, actually, you should know, I mean, in order to get to that capacity that fast and at that large extent, they have to rely, let's say, on subcontracting in manufacturing. So... um, Well, here again, I think the value of IP is important. Why? Well, what they do is, uh, in order to get the quality at a certain level, it is very important that they can monitor the manufacturing that is being done with these subcontractors globally, I would say. And these subcontractors, they would only listen to you if, of course, they uh, have to execute on a certain license. So you have to have the, the power, I would say, to guarantee the quality amongst all those subcontractors. If you don't have IP, then you don't have this power. And then you are reliant, uh, or you have to rely on the quality output that is being delivered by these subcontractors that are delivering this in an independent way. You see, so you really need this original innovator, uh, like an AstraZeneca, like a Pfizer, Biontech, like so, so uh, a JJ, who can not only come up with the first idea, of course, I mean, as a spin off from, from a university, maybe, yeah? but the real control of the manufacturing process is very important. And you can only do that if you have IP in hand to uh, help them manufacture your compound.
0: And and then in Europe, the EC of course has launched its IP action plan back in November and it's set the time frame for the HERA organization to be set up by the last quarter of twenty twenty one. So there's time to establish this system. Do you see with the current IP system, is is that fit for purpose at the moment or can it be worked on before the legislation comes in?
1: Yeah. Well, I think so. I mean the um you know the, the vaccine world is 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 a difficult um, world to invest in. I would say so. If you compare it to pharmaceuticals, in pharmaceuticals the profit margins are are much uh, higher in in the end. Um, here you are working of course with uh, very low prices, uh, you're in a societally very relevant uh, domain, especially like like with, with pandemics. So the faster we, we can get to a system that sustains innovation in this, in this field, the better it is. And if you have to rely only on the economic decision to be made by a company, Uh, not being helped by uh, someone else here in casual society, then it will take much longer, I would say. So having this, this attention... In a way, you might say that, well, up to now, pandemics have been limited to developing countries or non-developed countries even. Uh, Think about Ebola, think about malaria, think about now being on the forefront, even in developed economies. Maybe we are now in a situation where uh, this item will get more attention off Well, who's the customer of governments in general, so that we can get uh, quickly, I would say, to, uh, to new innovations in the domain, which are necessary, which are necessary.
0: And do you think the EU adopted the right strategy to ensure that everyone has access to safe and effective vaccines?
1: I think so. I think so. I mean, if if you, um, well, I'm a Belgian, so so being an inhabitant of a very small country, I I think it's very clear that if you uh, would um, be reliant on the negotiation of a small country, um, you know, very big countries, eh, left and right or east and west, whatever, um, you know, so you wouldn't be relevant, I would say. So so aggregating demand at the level of uh, Europe is definitely uh, a good way of uh, of doing this because then it is more relevant, I would say, than in the context of pharmaceuticals. In pharmaceuticals, this would only be relevant if we would, uh, you know, if, if you would have, let's say, one uh, European uh, healthcare system, which we don't have. But of course in vaccines there the demand and what you need from the compound is very clear and is only equivocally uh, you know the same uh, across the various countries so um that helps i would say industry to to have a demand a very large demand in other words it has and market size or market demand is uh, is one of the key things to uh, or one of the key uh, elements i would say to make a positive decision to innovation And so that's why I'm absolutely in favor of it, yes.
0: And you've got very broad experience um, on a personal level throughout your career with global pharmaceutical companies, with the biotech industry. In terms of trying to help them become even more uh, agile, more responsive to crises such as this, is there anything else that you would like to see in terms of IP protection?
1: Well, I, I think that there's two elements in a, in a way. So the, um, in order to protect in, uh, your investment that is needed or in order to get to a positive, uh, uh, let's say, to, in order to get to a go for developing new compounds, there's the patent length that needs to be uh, long enough. Uh, um, The patent length, as you know, is is about, it's like 20 years, but that goes from the first uh, discovery. So you have to deduce 10 years of it. So you have a very short time on on the market. Now, what do we see? Well, we see that first of all, uh, you have drugs that, um, well, there's more and more pressure from the public uh, to get drugs faster to the market. And they don't have the time to show uh, the real outcome. So, um, so that means that it gets um, risky for companies to invest in high-risk projects, which we need in order to advance uh, healthcare, I would say. So prolonging, so, so like, for example, in, in oncology, uh, so uh, it might help uh, to extend maybe the patent length that you might have. The patent length might be made variable following the, let's say, the uh, risky unmet need that is being presented uh, by society. So in domains where we really want to have uh, a novel uh, therapy. A second element, I think, is is that, well, and I think the vaccines show this to us, is that relatively speaking, the level of protection or the protection device that you're using is moving more and more, I would say, from the element of patents to the data exclusivity that you have. So the faster you uh, make that data available to low cost competitors, uh, well, the more threatened you are. So having uh, more of an emphasis on this data exclusivity, uh, I think is is, uh, is definitely a way way forward. I know, for example, that uh, I think there's uh, uh, I don't know the latest details of this, but, but uh, the protection in Europe, I think, of data is like 10 years also from market access, uh, whereas in the US it's a bit shorter. I think so. So they uh, having um, an emphasis on this data exclusivity seems to me uh, like a very important protection device and becoming even more and more important than in the context of uh, pure pharmaceuticals.
0: And bringing that right back to the original question about is intellectual property a barrier to access, given those recommendations that you put there about increasing patent length and data exclusivity, doesn't that still block access for countries that still need this help?
1: It's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a challenge. I. I I mean being aware of this uh, this there is this divide. Huh? So so this I would say it's more like a, a geopolitical question that you don't resolve by um by IP matters. Um so um I I was strongly impressed by what the EU did in May where they tried to gather where Ursula von der Leyen where she tried to gather means from developed countries to invest into the who and uh, so in, into the uh, developing countries so that they could get uh, let's say their systems up to speed to provide access to this medication but i mean ip is not the way to resolve this huh? so let's say that you would uh, as we sometimes hear that you would say okay so we're going to abandon the ip system and uh, everything's up for grabs uh, in in a way so so um well, the uh, the AstraZeneca uh, problem with manufacturing that they would have now that would, that would only be more extended, I would say, because you would not have any global organization or an, an organization with uh, global reach that is needed really to fight these kind of of, 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 of pandemics. So you would, um, I think, you, you go more to chaos, frankly. So uh, uh, where you, um, yeah, uh, where where you would have to say local companies trying to manufacture. Uh, these vaccines uh, on their own behalf uh, without any control. Well, if you want to have that fast access in uh, developing uh, countries, um, IP or abandoning IP is absolutely not the the answer. Uh, It's more as was done. It's more uh, on, let's say, by geo-financing or by geopolitical activities uh, where you uh, transfer means from let's say the developing uh, developed uh, economies to the developing countries so that they can get uh, their order uh, uh, their house in order
0: Thank you very much for those insights, Professor Walter van Dyck, the Director of Healthcare Management Centre at Vlerick Business School. Really fascinating. Thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who's been listening to 19 Conversations. If you liked this podcast, please click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode. And please leave a rating and a review. So until our next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag Inspire Solutions. Goodbye for now.